Welcome to episode three of the Darlow Fans Radio podcast, your monthly roundup of everything happening on and off the pitch at Darling Football Club. We're recording at the Dolphin Centre tonight as our friends at the Forum undergo some refurbishment and we're grateful for the Dolphin Centre for stepping in and providing us with some recording facilities. I'm Michael Price and I'll be your host for this episode as our regular numero uno Stu Armstrong recovers from illness. We're all hoping he gets well soon and after I've hosted this one, so will all of you, I'm sure. I'm joined tonight by the Northern Echo's finest sports journalist and Darlington Matchday reporter Craig Stoddart. Hello, Craig. Hello, Mike. Also joining Craig and myself tonight is one of two podcast debutants, long-time DFC volunteer and full-time Pat Phelan lookalike Dave Collins, newly appointed to both the supporters group board and the supporters liaison officer, on which more later. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thank you very much. Good evening, Michael. And completing our quartet tonight is another new voice, known to many as the author of the weekly Darlow Diary column for the Northern Echo. It's my pleasure to welcome Trevor Oakley to the programme. Hello, Trevor. Good evening. We've got some great content coming up for you in this episode as we look back on a tough month for the Quakers and forward to another tough month. Is there any other kind? Michael Cansfield talks to Les McJanet. We go around the league with Simon Hahn and Stu Armstrong talks to our CEO, David Johnston, in a two-part interview. So we start by looking back at uh, a difficult month for the Quakers where unlike the previous time we recorded, we only had one game to talk about. This month we've got six. Uh, We start with the game against Gainsborough Trinity where we went down 3-1 after a difficult opening 25 minutes. My my recollections of the game, uh, which are a bit hazy now, were that we had a very poor first half um, ascending off to Dom Collins. Individual mistakes, which is probably a, re- a recurring theme. Um, the second half was completely different. Uh, I thought we hung in there quite well, and I've noticed that a few games actually when we look when it looks like it's going to be a real car crash, we've actually hung in there. We got a goal back, and there was actually a, a glimmer of light that we would maybe even nick and equalise. But Gainsborough went and scored another goal, three-one. Uh, they deserved the win. Um, so not 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 the greatest performance, but even out of these performances, there were one or two positives, which was the resilience in the second half. Yeah, of um, course, you uh, mentioned the Don Collins red card there. It was later rescinded, but that doesn't stop us playing the second half with 10 men, unfortunately. As you say, that we, uh, we did put in a, a decent performance in that second half, despite the numerical disadvantage. And uh, But unfortunately, came away with a defeat. Better news on Boxing Day, when we had the first of our doubleheader with, uh, with Harrogate Town, <coughs> who've been somewhat frequent opponents recently. We got a measure of revenge for the FA Trophy game, and we beat them 3-1. Two Boxing Day wins out of two at Blackwell Meadows, and a pretty satisfying performance to boot. Fair to say we could have taken the three points even if it stayed 11 v 11? Sorry, talk. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think definitely. It's interesting, because when we played them in the trophy, they fielded a, a reasonably weakened team in comparison to the league game. And so probably wasn't expecting anything near the performance that we got. Um, obviously, all of a sudden, we've, we had, we had Reese Stage who provided a bit of a threat up front, and that seemed to then spread across the rest of the team. The midfield hustled. We looked relatively tight at the back for the majority of the game. Um, it was it was actually it was quite refreshing when you consider the performances that went on before that game yeah. it, it came out of nowhere almost and it gave you a bit of hope and so I think at the end of the game I kind of went away <coughs> thinking yeah of course playoffs we could possibly still do this uh, well I think you're right yeah, I think we can still look at that game and, and, and get hope from it even now three what two or three weeks later it, we've shown that then or Darlington have shown them what is, what is possible 
with uh, with Rhys Stites in the team. And if we don't can beat Harrogate, well, maybe we can beat Charlie and Leamington, etc., etc. Fair to say that I think also that uh, Tom had an excellent game plan against um, Harrogate. I think they had probably quite a lot of the ball for a lot of the game, but we we were compact, held our shape, and played quite deep, and that didn't really give Harrogate much room to to create many chances. Um, so I, I thought it was a thoroughly deserved win. Yeah, I think the one thing yeah. that possibly helped us is that in the second half, Harrogate were starting to build up a little bit of, of you know, the head of steam, and then obviously the red cards, you know, it's about time we had a little bit of luck go our way. The red cards mm. certainly gave us a little bit of, of breathing space in there, and obviously getting the penalty at the end is fantastic, sealed the deal, but um, yeah, yeah. It's the first time in a little while I actually came away from the game thinking, yeah, okay, we can still do this. Yeah, it was a performance that sort of gave you some faith that we could turn the corner. Obviously, Harrogate pressing the self-destruct button that perhaps we're better known for doing um, in in some games with the two sendings off when they were looking like they might start to press for an equaliser. They'd got it back to 2-1 and then they'd uh, two men sent off and a penalty conceded that allowed us to wrap up the three points. But... uh, there were some some green shoots from that game, mm. um, and then we needed more of the same really in the return fixture on New Year's Day. It looked good in the first half, but uh, unfortunately, second half didn't go so well, and uh, Harrogate ended up taking the three points, getting some instant revenge for Boxing Day, and winning three nil. Yeah, that was the day where we conceded early in the second half, wasn't it? There, Harrogate attacked down the right, and mm. it was a good finish. I mean, there was a lot of spotlight at the time on Leon Scott for his for his role in the goal. I mean. Uh, not enough credit, I think, was given to the goal scorer because I yeah. thought it was a good finish from the Harrogate player. I hit it first time into the roof of the net, um, mm. so it was a good goal. But then from that from that point onwards, well, I think we, we crumbled very quickly, conceded the second goal, and suddenly it was suddenly it was game over. Um, that's quite uh, quite demoralising, really, from a from a fan's point of view, but and obviously the players as well. You look on course for a, might you might get a good result out with this, and suddenly in no time, you're looking at a heavy defeat. Yeah, you would have taken after after the victory on Boxing Day. You would have taken a draw away from home. But uh, I think the second goal you've mentioned there's the one where their player basically runs through and challenges, isn't it? Because the, mm. the ball just breaks from one of our attacking set pieces and two of our players. I think was it Leon and Phil Turnbull mm. are stood miles yeah. apart and Leesley yeah. just runs through and initially, of course, Talbot saves it, but we don't deal with the we don't deal with the second ball and we're two down. There was a great following from um, Downton as well, which was um, which was very. Encouraging. Yeah, I mean, when you consider the predicament that we're in, mm. it was a, a really yeah. good following. It was just a shame, in a way, that we we couldn't quite get to the same level as what we'd shown on Boxing Day. I mean, fortunately, the first half, I suspect, probably went exactly as Tommy was was hoping. You know, he, he shut them out. We didn't look particularly adventurous, and I kind of felt a bit sorry for East mm. State running all over the place trying to get onto the sort of clearances that were coming out, but. I don't know. You always got the feeling that once they got in and got one, things might not necessarily go the way we planned. Unfortunately, the second goal came along so quickly. Mm. I think we hadn't even sort of really got our heads around the first goal going in and what we were going to do about it. And at that point, then the game was gone. You know, we gave them a little bit of, you know, a bit more to think about after that. But we were just never going to recover. I was impressed with Harrogate that day, I have to say, even the first half. I, th- I think they're a very um, athletic side that are suited to that uh, pitch. Um, and I know it's a bit of an excuse, well, you know, but they're, they're used to it. And I, I do I do wonder whether 
Harrogate's form has been quite as, as strong uh, away from home. I haven't got the, the details to hand, but certainly at home I can see them winning a lot of games. Yeah, certainly the pitch can make a difference. As I think we were discussing it briefly before recording, but the, obviously our players do train on it, but there's a difference between training and the live game environment, isn't there? Indeed. Um, and obviously two goals fairly early in the second half is something we'll come on to in another game a little later on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, um, those of you who were listening into the Alfreton game we played recently will have heard our regular away day commentator Michael Cansfield, joined by Super Les McJanet. Uh, Michael also sat down with Les for a, a little chat and uh, when we're going to release that full interview soon on the Dial of Fans Radio uh, usual channels, Twitter and Facebook and so on. But here's a little preview exclusively for Dial of Fans Radio podcast listeners. Fetums, are they fond memories in the Quaker Centre? Did you spend much time at the Quaker Centre? Yeah, we should trade in there. It was a bit of a sweat box in my memory says. Yeah. Wasn't the most mod? Was it? Was it a wooden? It was wooden floor, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, we used to play little. Well, when the weather was bad, snow. Or we used to train in there. Yeah. Did they have little. any heating? I can't remember. I suppose you once you were running around, you'd warm up. But I'm assuming yeah. it was pretty Baltic. I think it was. I think yeah. it was. And then the mighty Phaetums in the tunnels. What was the change room like at Phaetums? Then was that? I don't think I. I think I saw it once doing a kick tour in 1984 or something stupid. It was a fairly tight, tiny little. Very tiny. <laughs> Very tiny. Characterful is probably the better way of it. I think when I, when I first moved to Dallington on loan, there was a bath. The big bath was still there. Is that what, what all of you blokes were going together in yeah. the bath afterwards? Yeah. Seems so surreal today. <laughs> no. But then they took that out and they were just showers only. It's probably not the right thing to put. So you all got in the buff in the, and it never seemed wrong. It went into the time now. <laughs> no. It never seemed a weird thing that you've been <laughs> no. with a load of grown men naked they, they, in a no. bath. You sat in a bath together. It just no. seemed like a normal thing. And you're just chatting away like normal. Yeah. Not 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 a conscious care in the world. But no, like that, not right, really okay. no. So in the days of soccer AM and there was the longest in the shower, that, that you could really know that when in those days because you're in a filthy bath. I know. Oh, I mean, I know. it's disgusting. It is, so right. It is, yeah. You've just played football. You're sweaty. You're covered in mud. And you're all 11... in the same water. But the bath, you couldn't fit 11 people in at the same It wasn't all of you, 11 of you, surely. Yeah, it was huge. 11 grown men sweating naked in a bath. Yeah. Well, there's an image for the listeners at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, not the pretty side. And then the joys of the tin shed, were they enjoyable? Were the... Was there anybody else could make the noise of the tin shed? I think the answer to that is no, by the way. <laughs> No, I mean, obviously, um, I, I mean, the, the, those two years that we won the league, were, that was sort of fantastic. They would definitely make a roar, the old tin shed. It is uh, something yeah. a lot of fans hark back to. But I must admit, when you're playing the game, I know it's hard to describe to fans, but when you're playing the game, even when there's a goal scored, it's not like a, it's a strange feeling because you, you want to congratulate the score or you've scored and you're just in your own little mind. So you don't actually hear the roar. Are you not aware of the noise when they're... Uh... Not really now. You can you can weird. disconnect from that because it makes some noise. Well, they made some noise, and you, you you could just it doesn't bother. And when so is do you have people shouting at you because as we noticed in the game today, the the guy on the the line yeah, being yeah. shouted by the yeah. manager, but you're obviously yeah. getting the earache from the fans as well. Yeah. Although not that you saw a lot of earache because it was mostly successful. But the other things are feetums. What else was there? And the, obviously the cricket, the cricket ground, the nice. It was just there can't be many, if any, ground where you've got the twin towers to go in. Yeah, they got the pretty cricket, cricket ground, ground, and then, and then, then it's a nice, it's a lovely little feetums little ground. Great entrance. It just uh, a lot of good memories. And the pitch, what were your memories? Of it was it was obviously had its good days and its bad days. I think pre-season, all the time it had grass on. I think. Yes. It was quite a heavy pitch. And a little bit of give before it became a solid yeah. mass. Yeah. 
And I think in those days, like there was very rare that the game was called off unless it was a rock hard pitch. Yeah. If it was mud, we play. Yeah, yeah. If it's exactly. snow, we clear the lines. Did you ever play, play with an orange ball? Yeah. Many wow. time. That's proper retro. Yeah. Proper Stanley Matthews territory. Yeah. All in that time. So they all uh, so there's good times of dark feet but have you ever been back to it? I went back up for me and me and Corky went back up for the um the quite a few players that the last last year that Feetham was there. Oh right. The game there. You at the game, the last game. There was a there was a bit of a do after like and quite oh, a few right. players were there. You did a little parade. Yeah. Yes, yes. Is that Rochdale? No, it was Leighton Orient. The it was Leighton Orient, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wayne yeah. scored. Mm. They were their looping header to mm. at least save us some. I think it was the last game at Feetums or it was the last season at Feetums anyway. So that must be a bit weird going back. It was. Very weird. But you obviously saw a few familiar faces from your days of sporting dark. Oh, yeah. Like Martin. Martin was was one of your mates from... Maybe unbelievable. <laughs> the, the, for the people listening at home, these, the, Martin's one of the most loyal Dalo fans. Yeah. And, and he, most people will know him. He's, he's been there and does the uh, steward bit. But he lives in Heathrow, but travels up every every week to watch him home and away. Mm. How... The, the original word for hardcore fan is uh, is Martin, but he used to he used to give him a lift or something. No, when if we if we had a midweek game, we'd, myself and Dave Court couldn't get a train back, so we'd have to stop in Diggs after the game. So Martin would come up for the game. For, lived in London, obviously worked there, and he, his his bus was twelve o'clock at night. Wow! Back from Darlington to London, it's the overnight bus. So he'd come out with us for for a few beers. We'd have a few beers with him. Then we'd see him off to his bus. Then he'd sleep all the way back to London. Then he'd go home for a shower. Then he'd go straight to work. Wow! And he'd do that every, every second every, week or every, every, every yeah, unbelievable. And your digs is that? So what was the digs again in Darlington? Is that a bed and breakfast? No, it was just a woman who. Yeah, she, she would or someone's house. No, it wasn't a hotel. She's somebody's house. Oh, a mate's house, basically. No, it wasn't a mate. She, she, I think in years gone by, apprentices would come from different parts of the country to, to old clubs, and families would take in. Oh, right, I see. So there were sort of Darlow-friendly houses yeah. and there would be a list of who you could stay with. Yeah. Oh, right, So I when, I, when I come in loan uh, from, from Scarborough, I'd stay there a few times. Right, because you yeah. lived in Mansfield the whole time. I lived time. in Mansfield all the time, so if I, I'd stop up and I, I'd, they'd put me in these digs. So when I signed permanently and we, we couldn't get a train back, I went up to see her. I said, listen, can me and Dave Court stay? <laughs> she charges a fiver each. A fiver. Bargain. Mm. For a night out in Darlow. Yeah. And what were your memories of Darlington nights out? Was there much to... Was there, was there a nightclub in those days? Was that Mardi Gras in those Mardi Gras. <laughs> Mardi Gras was the place. Oh, wow. And did you get recognised <laughs> when you're out? We did actually, yeah. So you were, you were, did you enjoy the celebrity of being famous? It's okay when you're winning. Less with selfies and things. Well, yeah, I bet it was. No, there were no selfies either, them days. No selfies. No. It would be no. autographs. Did you do autographs? Well, I never did autographs on a night out. People never come up and say, "Can you sign this?" Or a night out. They come up and say, "How are you doing, lads?" And you want a beer, or you'd have a chat with them. Ah, they buy you a beer. And that would. Yeah. It's got to be some perks to being the 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 oh. the, 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 the local celebrity, being the professional. And Corky with his uh, bleached blonde hair. Yeah, he couldn't hide in a corner, could he? Well, no. Although, to be fair, there's probably quite a few other people with the same bleached hair. <laughs> looking like they're in cats. So that was Michael Cansfield talking to Darlow legend Les McJanet. The full interview will be released shortly. Keep an eye on the usual channels for that one. The supporters group continues to go from strength to strength and recently announced a flurry of new appointments and work streams to continue the good work being done alongside the football club board. Among these appointments was the news that Dave Collins, who's with us tonight, was to become the supporter liaison officer, one of only a handful around non-league. So why don't we start at the beginning, Dave, and uh, tell us how you came to be a Darlington Football Club volunteer in the first place. I think I, I mean, I've, I've followed Darlington since uh, the days of Gary Worthington and 
my first recollection was Dave Booth getting getting the sack. So I've been with the club a long time, but not as a volunteer, pretty much as a passive fan. I think my volunteer, I mean, I volunteered in local football outside Don Football Club for quite a few years. I was a member of the Sunday Morning Football League Committee. But my focus was really enhanced when we went through the, the Rajasing administration, um, where I joined the Darlington Trust with a view to trying to secure funds that had been collected in a previous administration so we could use them to try and keep the club going. Uh, so people like Neil Raper, Doug Hamilton, uh, sat on a, a, a trust board with them at the time. Uh, so I got involved then. We then saved the club and we moved to um, Heritage Park and uh, you know, and my view was I still need to try and help so I became a turnstile stroke steward, stroke ticket collector, um, ticket seller I should say and also involved in ground cleanliness. So I've, I've worked at the sort of grassroots level so I've, I've seen what sort of things can affect the, the sort of match day experience is what really my support liaison role is about. Great, and uh, of course you were then recently appointed to the supporters group board at the last AGM. I was. And uh, from there, how has it become that you are now the SLO? It's a very good question. Um, Chris Stockdale, who's the chairman of the supporters group, um, he's felt for a long time, and I think David Johnson to a certain extent as well, has felt that um, we needed a support liaison officer, a customer experience officer, whatever you want to call it. Um, and Chris thought I was the right man for the job in view of my previous experience and my passion and uh, love for the club. Um, I should add, just a, a correction, it is actually a club role. So it's a, it's a role endorsed by the, it's a role uh, created by the club, but it's actually endorsed by the supporters group. Right. Um, okay. So um, it, it's a, it gets a little bit confusing because I'm on the supporters club board, but I'm also support liaison officer. So Chris thought it was a, an ideal job for me. I come in with a manifesto, um, which I got voted in on at the um, supporters meeting. Um, some of my manifesto was actually already been done by other board members, um, and I, I, I was looking for a, a very specific role, and, and, and this came up. I'm delighted to, well, honoured really to be doing it. Yeah, certainly. I know the appointment was well received uh, when it was announced on Twitter. Very popular uh, volunteer with our fan base, often seen, as you said, around uh, yeah. Heritage Park and Blackwell Meadows. Uh, doing the stewarding and the, the cleaning up after games and stuff. So, what sort of uh, what sort of responsibilities does this role give you, and what sort of things do you hope to achieve? It's one of these roles that varies. I mean, just to explain a bit of the background, it's a youth initiative uh, from 2011, um, and it, I, I think initially it was mainly designed for league clubs. So, if you look on the um, Federation Supporters Clubs, you'll see that every league club has an SLO. As you've mentioned in your intro, there's not many non-league clubs have it, so it's quite a bold step for the club. Um, I'm independent in a sense, although it's a club position, I am independent. Um, I have to be seen to have a, a supporters role, but also um, a club role. And it's really about communication. So any difficult decisions, for instance, the club have to make, it's, it, you know, I'm in a position where I can um, communicate with the fans and, and explain why, which I think is, is important. It's also uh, a, a thing for the supporters to get hold of me and say, I'm not happy about this. It may be ticketing, it may be parking, it may be catering, any, anything really. And I have access to all of the um, the club board and the senior officials and also the sports group because of my, my, my current role. So it's very wide-ranging. Um, the important thing for me is... I've got to model it, which is applicable to Darlington. So it's got to be Darlington proofread. It's got to be something that, that suits our club. 
Um, you know, a lot of the SLO roles are quite wide ranging. Um, it's not just a security thing. I think some people assume it's uh, like a security role. It's not at all. I can get involved in um, maybe quelling little issues that arise at football matches. Um, one recently at Bly where a flare was picked up by somebody and he got accused of throwing it, which wasn't the case. So I can get involved in that and use my official capacity to say to the stewards that it, it wasn't this guy. I don't know who did it, but that sort of thing. Um, but I'm really looking to the fans to give me ideas as well as to what they think are the most important issues, what will enhance the, um, the matchday experience. Um, and it, it, it could be anything. Um, recent things that were mentioned were uh, things like parking. People couldn't get parked up at York, who paid for a spot, and uh, you know, and uh, whatever happened happened. But I can get involved in that and sort out a process and try and get something organised for that. Um, it's also got a wider role that I deal with um, the Federation of Supporters I just mentioned. Um, I also try and deal with other SLOs, but as I mentioned, not many in non-league, so it's quite difficult to do that. But I've also I've already made contact with York City. To get an idea of how they operate, what, what they do, what, what their best ideas are. So I'm not going to reinvent the role, but I'm going to try and learn from other people um, the best way of doing it. All right, brilliant. So you mentioned there that uh, you're looking for fan, you're looking to fans for uh, for feedback and ideas. How yes. can how can the supporters, apart from uh, finding you on a match day, of course, get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me through my uh, my Twitter account, which is dfc underscore slow, and they can get in touch with me through my Facebook page, which is at df. See slow. Um, as well as supporters getting in touch with me, I aim to get in touch with supporters as well. So I've got. A, I'm currently developing an action plan. One of the things I want to do, um, aside from Twitter and social media, is actually to get in touch with people where they live. I know in the past we've had um, sort of uh, diasporas in uh, places like North Allerton, Darlow Tykes, and Newton Aircliffe. So I'm looking to do a few focus groups. One thing that I'm big on, and this is my day job, is surveys. I, I believe that uh, social media is great for getting feedback, but it, whether it's representative is debatable. So what I'm looking to do is do a few surveys. I've got to map out a schedule of surveys, one, perhaps one big one in the summer, and do some snap surveys, things like what do you think of the pies and what do you think of the parking, all that sort of thing. Um, so I want to get in touch with fans where they are. Um, the other thing, the other role I've got as well is trying to liaise with what we traditionally call stakeholders. So it's things like the rugby club as well, how they can help to improve the experience, um, and also sit on maybe some big game pre pre meetings where we're we're organising the game because obviously when we're playing York and Harrogate and there's got big crowds, there's a lot more demands in terms of segregation and that type of thing. So how can we make it a comfortable experience for the away followers? I think that's often misunderstood that the match experience isn't just about the home, it's also about the, the away supporters as well. So people contact me and I try and get in touch with them. Right, fantastic. Thanks for that, Dave. And uh, Greg, uh, good luck in the role. Thank um, you. More information on the new supports group work streams, if anybody feels they have anything that they're able to volunteer to those, is available from their website at dfcsg.co.uk. From one David to another now, as we go to part one of Stu Armstrong's talk with Darlington Football Club CEO David Johnston, recorded a couple of days before we sat down to record this episode. In this first part, David talks about the phone call that brought him to Darlington. Thanks for joining us. I'm pleased to say we're joined by Darlington Chief Executive Officer and Director David Johnson. David, thanks for spending some time with us for this DFR podcast. 
You're very welcome, Stuart. First question, I think, for me is, I guess there's only two routes that you could uh, get involved with Darling the way they are. You've either got to really love football or you've really got to love Darling. I guess for you in the first place, it was a love of football that brought you here. Is that, is that right? Is that how you first became interested? It is. Uh, to, to be honest, I've made no secret of the fact I'm, I'm a Newcastle United fan. I've followed Newcastle. I had a season ticket there for 42 years um, and grew up following them all over through thin and thin. Um, however... Probably uh, in round about June time last year, with, with the fallout of the board and the, the seat issue, um, John and, and Martin Gray actually approached me. They knew I was back in the northeast. I've been working in private equity in London for a while. I was back in the northeast, and um, I think Martin had spoke to um, a mutual friend of ours, and he said, "Look, get David involved. Um, you, you've got some problems with the club, and get involved." And I came along and met with John, and you know, very, what was important for me was that I could work with. Um, the individual was concerned and I liked John immediately when I met him and we talked about issues and over a period of four to six weeks I, I warmed to the idea um, and decided to come on board. Uh, I have to say that that um, has been one of the best decisions I've made but, which might sound a bit a bit strange given the way we are and, and some of the pressures we've had this year but I am really enjoying the role. Um, uh, I, I bought two season tickets for Newcastle that were in the, um, the director's box um, with meal etc. I think the wife and I have been three times now. We were at Darlington more than Newcastle. When there's a when there's a fixture class, I'm coming to Darlington, so it definitely gets under your skin, gets in your blood, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And you know, I've got some great thoughts and ideas for the future. Good stuff. And you've got a varied uh, track record, if you want to call it that, a varied resume, haven't you? With some interesting stuff on there that you've done. Which of the roles that you've done do you think have been the best preparation for this type of role that you're doing here? Um, well, probably the last four or five roles I've been, I've actually come, I've done, a, I've been turnaround. Uh, the Thorn Lighting role is probably the one that gives me the most pleasure. Um, that was a business with about a thousand employees that was going to be closed, and they were going to move the, all the production to Austria, Germany, Romania, China. But I came up with a, a business stra- strategy and a plan to keep them in Spennymoor. Uh, I moved them from the site they were on to a new site, and I sold the land for residential planning and raised £23 million for the board. Um, we saved a thousand jobs there. The factory moved them to 400,000 foot square square foot shed um, got factory of the year the following year in the UK but what's really nice about that is the legacy you know, I can't go out in um, in Tudor or Spennymoor without someone stopping me and saying thank you for what you did and that's you know it was 2005 I left there but the people still remember you know there's two, second and third generations of families still working with Thorn and having lost Black and Decker and um, Rothmans from the area um, Electrolux as well it would have been a, you know, a death blow for the town and um, I'd like to say that Thorn is still there and they'll be there for the next 20 years in my view so that was a very good. Uh, uh, I enjoyed that, you know, working with people and uh, turning around. Edinburgh Airport. When I went there as MD, was very, very interesting. Uh, looking at um, infrastructure assets and how to run an airport, fascinating. Then I went to Heathrow. Um, a lot of money to spend down Heathrow, spending two billion pounds a year, <laughs> which was quite interesting. Everyone wanted to be my friend at that point in time. Um, and then I went to Stansted as MD, and again a turnaround at Stansted, getting ready for sale. Um, and following that, I left, and I've done some consultancy work, some of my own consultancy up, but it was always a business turnaround. So uh, whilst, um, and then I moved, sorry, then I moved into private equity, um, where you go in and you buy a company a certain value, you, you turn it around, add value to it, and sell it um, for a profit, and that's what I'm doing now again. Um, there's a lot of value in that. But uh, I think the turnaround work that I've done is is particularly helpful for Darlington. You know, we, we're not in a, a terrible position, obviously, but turnaround is not just about making the, the club financially stable, it's about providing 
um, a sustainable future with revenue streams so the club can stand its own two feet. And if the club is to get back into the football league, you know, we have to be financially stronger than we are today. But you know, I have plans and views on how we can do that, and I'm very confident we'll get there. It won't happen overnight. This is, you know, this is this is this is a five-year journey, but it, it's something that I'm committed to. Whilst the fans want me there, I'll be there and I'll drive that. So, what did you know about Dalit Football Club before you got here? Then, because obviously you had a successful track record, you got lots of things there that you just described in your CV. What did you actually know about the football club before you arrived there in the summer? Well, obviously, been um, I grew up in the northeast, and it was always you know the, you had you had Newcastle, Sunderland, Borough. Darlington and Hartlepool. Um, they were all in the football league. I remember Darlington had to apply for election before the days of the conference, etc. I remember all that. My, probably my first involvement with Darlington was when um, uh, you had uh, Brian Little here. Um, I used to work with his brother Kenny oh, yeah. um, at NSK. Kenny was at Villa. Um, and I remember going down to Feetham's when Alan was coach at York City. Um, Brian was manager at Darlington and Kenny and I were on night shift we came down and watched the game before we went to night shift so that was my first real involvement with with, uh, with, with Darlington um, I remember coming down to see David Barton's testimonial here in 19 I think it'll be 1984 um, and getting chased out of the ground because I was wearing your castle scarf <laughs> thanks to you Darlington fans if it was you it was me you were chasing um, no it was, it was it was good you know I, I, I obviously came to Fames a few times you know, I played cricket down at Fames as well before in the past but uh, um, beyond that, um, uh, I, I, I'm a good friend of Dave Hodgson, um, and when Dave was here, I, obviously we, you know, I was aware of what he was doing, the good work he did, um, and I still talk to David on a, on a you know, a monthly basis. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic when when Martin decided to go to, to York. Um, Dave was on the phone every day. Are you okay? I talked to you. How's things about? Can you go on? You know, you're doing the right things. Stick at, you know, you've got to keep Darlington. Stick to it. Stay true to Darlington. Do the right things. Darlington Football Club. And it was fantastic having him there. Just that support. He's, he's that kind of look. Yeah. I think Darlington fans know that. He's, he's 100% through and through. Yeah, I've got a lot to thank yeah. David. Yeah. That's another story for another day. I'll tell you that one afterwards. Well, I'm, I'm actually having a coffee with him this morning on a separate oh, yeah. issue. <laughs> not Darlington related. I just don't know. Just having a quick catch up on some other issues. Oh, well, I'll tell you the story. You can pass it on then. Uh, so you got here in the, in the summertime. Um, within that first couple of weeks, what were your first Impressions. What, 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 what? How did you feel about um, when you got here compared to before you'd arrived? Well, the first thing was I've been told it was one day a week uh, by John, and there was no mention of sixty-five thousand pound of debt, which came as a very big surprise to me. And then when I looked at the budget that was predicting we were going to lose another ninety thousand pound in the year. I just said, "Hang on, this is no way to run a company." Um, so you know, it, it was my decision to raise the gate by two pound a day. We had to do that to half the deficit in relation to the £90,000 um, shortfall the budget was predicting. You know, it, it's a very difficult situation. I think I, I tried to get this message across at the fans forum. Um, we had a squad with a wage bill of £300,000, a lot of players on two-year contracts and good money. And Martin had put a squad together he believed would compete to get us into the playoffs. Well, that didn't transpire, you know. The last run of games that Martin had, it one win in eleven. Um, we had a bit of bad luck in there, but but ultimately, it's obviously we weren't performing as we should have done. The gates didn't come through, crowd didn't come through because we weren't performing. And when you've got a fixed cost of three hundred thousand pound, you're obviously then going to run a budget deficit. So it, it's it's a very difficult financial position. I can't get rid of that three hundred thousand pound cost. It's there. It needs to be covered by revenue. The only revenue we've got is sponsorship and gate receipts. And if the gear receipts are down, you're in a difficult position. So we've had to do some stuff. Um, we've had to do a lot of player training. Um, obviously, Mark Beck and um, David Ferguson and Adam Bartlett um, and also Nathan Cartman moved on. We did very well in the financial trading of that, which basically 
has offset some of the loss we've had from the from the gate receipts. Um, we've also managed to replace those players. You know, um, this has been very difficult. Tommy's had a very difficult job to do. He's had to change a dressing room um, and improve the quality. He's lost players. You know, I mean, let's be clear. Beck and, and Ferguson had bioclaws in their contracts, and they went. There's nothing we could do about that. Um, two very good players, although Mark was obviously injured when he went. Um, so you then you replace a centre forward and a guy who's been playing for England C. So you ultimately. Um, and then when Bart's went, he's probably one of the best goalkeepers in the league. So you, you, you're, you're at that point saying, right, what do we do and how do we move that on? Um, I honestly think bringing Reece Stice in at centre-forward has been outstanding. Move from Tommy. Tommy came me and said, I need this guy. He's the guy for us. Um, and he's, he's proved that. You know, um, Obviously, the, the penalty miss against Salford the night, just you know, so fans know. I had Reece on the phone, half past seven, the following morning, because I didn't make the game. I was down in Cambridge apologising for the penalty he was distraught wanted to make a public apology to the fans and I said look every time someone makes a mistake do you want me to you know, what do we, there's no need to apologise do we ball everybody out when they make a mistake on the football field no we don't he held his hands up he was gutted by it and he's going to come back stronger and prove that um, what we need is restart scoring goals and uh, that's what he does and you know he he was absolutely it, it must have took guts to call me and say I'm so sorry boss you know I've done that, that, that. and I said listen it's not about that it's not about that you know and uh, Mistakes. If he makes the same mistake every week, it's a different issue. But that's not the case. He won't do that again. You know, he, he was he was absolutely distraught with, with what had happened, and we should have got something out of the game. And um, the other players we brought in, you know, Trotz has been injured, but um, I honestly believe as a right back, he will want to better things in the game. You know, this, this, this kid was down at Luton Town. Um, Man United watching before he broke his leg. He'll come back a lot stronger. He's injured with a thigh straight at the moment. Hopefully, we'll have him fit for the coming you know, the upcoming fixtures. And I thought we saw the other night from Millsy. Um, he looked really, really good. Man of the match, scored a goal. Um, Tommy's got a lot of faith in him. This kid scores goals and he will continue to score goals. Just needs to settle. Uh, new players, new squad. And I think Josh Eaton coming in centre half. Tommy wanted to go and get Josh. He's been outstanding. If you look at the last three games, he's marked, well, last four games, he's had Ainge, he's had Beck, he's had um, Parkin, and then Phoenix. And he's, he's done. You know, the kids look fantastic. Um, and he's coming really, really well. I'm delighted that we brought him in and he's looking really strong at centre half. Um, so yeah, the the, um, the squad is it's been difficult. So we've gone back to budget position uh, with the sixty five k of debt. That's that was obviously something I was unaware of, and uh, it, we're now working on a plan to, to clear that with the with the ground. Going to you know we're going to have the seats up, and I think it's probably going to be by the second of March now, the twenty fourth of February. A little bit of delay and some of the stuff, but the seats will be ready. Um, the fans next season, I'll be look, expecting them to contribute some way, shape, or form, depending on where they want the club to be. Uh, you know, I think we need to set a realistic playing budget. Um, it'll not be at the level of 300 uh, it'll be lower than that but I will then look to the fans to do a similar thing with boost the budget to give Tommy a, a competitive budget to play at this level and hopefully put us in the playoffs um, The um, in relation to where we are in the league at the moment obviously we've had a bad run of fixtures uh, but ultimately uh, you know, I think with the fixtures coming up we'll see the side go on a decent run and we'll be, we'll be fine so that with, the, with the fans, look, the clear, hopefully the debt will be cleared off by the end of Feb. We're halfway to doing that now. That's a wonderful achievement for the fans. We get the debt cleared off, then we will, you know, the cash flow will go negative again. But it'll all be inside 30 days payment terms, which is exactly what it, where it needs to be. And we'll pay that back down with the early bird season ticket sales. Next year, I'd also like to put up an infrastructure fund where fans contribute to raising or raising a surplus of cash that we can use to develop infrastructure assets for the club in the future. You know, assets that generate income. We've talked about a 4G pitch, a clubhouse, an academy. That's what I want to do. 
and they will all bring revenue in. And if we had our own 4G pitch running commercial six-a-side leagues during the week, you know, we'd probably talk them somewhere in the region of £300,000 profit a year from that issue, if we were it correctly. And then you're talking about playing budget that is more than sustainable at this level. It should get us into the National League. Whether it gets beyond that is a different question. But let's take this one step at a time. You know, you've got to raise it. You've got to raise the funds that enable you to compete at the next level, and then you go again from there. Um, but there's a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of possibilities coming with that sporting village, which I'm sure we'll talk about in, in the next few minutes. <laughs> so, so wrapping up the bit about where we are now, then, how would you describe on and off the pitch? If you sort of bundle it all together, how would you describe where we are now? as an organisation compared to back in June when you came on board? I think off the field, this is quite ironic actually, I think off the field we're a lot stronger, we're probably the strongest position we've been in since the club reformed. Um, if we get to the end of the season and the debt is cleared and um, we show from a P&L perspective we've made an operating profit or we've actually broken even, which I'm, tar- I'm targeting breaking even on the P&L. That's the first time the club's done that and the debt cleared off and the stand building that season. Fantastic achievement. We just need to remain in this league and it's been a superb year. It gives the, the other building blocks for the future. Um, ironically, on the pitch, we're not having a great time, but that's about, you know, I've talked about we've got to refresh the squad, we've got to look at what we're doing. We need, you know, some players, you know, have held their hands up, they need to step forward a bit more. Um, um, but ultimately, I believe we've got enough quality in that squad to, to first, you know, first and foremost, stay in the league this season, and then we'll look at what we need over the summer and, and strengthen the squad to ensure we compete at the, high, at the top end of the table next season. So, yes, I think we're, you know, we're getting there off the, off the, off the pitch. Um, and we just need to now you know, stabilise, um, look for the next step for financial development and also um, you know, get the squad refreshed to ensure we can compete uh, next season. So we will have the second part of Stu and David's chat a little later in the programme. But for now, it's back to the catch-up on a rough run of fixtures for Tommy Wright's men. And we continue that round-up with the visit of York and the return of former Darling manager Martin Gray, who went away the happier of the two managers after, just like Harrogate, a mad 10 minutes at the start of the second half. So the uh, visitors taking all three points after Reese Stice had given Darlow the lead just before half-time. Um, obviously, 47, no, was it 57 seconds, I recall saying on the commentary, into the second half, York were level. And uh, minutes later, from conceding a penalty, York were in the lead. Um, how did you see that one, Trevor? Um, yet again, another frustrating afternoon. Um what was most frustrating for me is the fact that, again, in the first half, a bit like Harrogate, we actually put in a pretty decent performance. Uh, we didn't get overawed by you know, what is obviously a full-time team, far better finance than ourselves. We, we kept control of the game well, and to be frankly honest, we deserved to take the lead in the end. Um, what was so frustrating is you come straight out after half time and bang it's gone you know it's a game like the Harrogate away game you know it's that sort of you know, a little bit of, of um, lapse of concentration mm. and the lead that you fought so hard to get just disappears and and after that to be honest we didn't really look as though we were going to get it back yeah I think the statistics show don't they Craig at the moment that the first 10 minutes after half time were, seemed to be a very dangerous time for Dallas certainly the Harrogate game and then the York game yeah, I don't have good examples of that. I don't have those statistics at hand, but we haven't. None of us have forgotten what's happened against Harrogate in York lately. So frustrating. He do well for forty-five minutes, and he spent half time feeling optimistic, and then within minutes of the second half start, and you're thinking, oh, here we go again. Uh, that, that York game was really frustrating, particularly because Dallas shot themselves in the foot. Didn't just concede. They actually basically gave York York a goal. Obviously, Stephen Thompson's 
Stephen Thompson's pass. Um, and then from that point onwards, down couldn't clear the ball. And uh, as you say, within five or six minutes, York York had scored, scored a penalty to go two one ahead. Really frustrating because, and I wonder or worry, but by the end of the season, are we going to go back through when we do our post mortem? Are we going to say, well, that was a point dropped? Are we going to look at that York game? Are we going to say that should have been a point? That game here, that should have been three, etc., etc. Um, that was a bad one. Certainly was. Um, and then it was on to Salford after that one. Uh, the league leaders, of course, a team we uh, quite comfortably beat 3 0 at their place earlier in the season. Optimism for a double, it wasn't to be, unfortunately. Uh, another 2 1 defeat. And uh, I think the main talking point from that game that we've uh, we've probably all seen either live or since the game, it went viral for all the wrong reasons, was Reese Stacia's attempted uh, Penenka penalty that uh, certainly left a lot of fans in the ground angry. I know Stu and Andy weren't too keen on it when they commentated on it live. And uh, maybe not costing us the game necessarily, but could have been a very different game if that one goes into the back of the net. Yeah, I've... Well, we, we all we all know it was stupid. And he Reese himself knows it was it, it was stupid. I mean, you, you do that when you're three 0 in injury time. You don't do that with an hour gone at nil nil. Um, but I know after the game, myself and Ray we were waiting to speak to Tommy, who took a long time to come out that night. Actually, I remember. So we were waiting quite a while, and we were just about to interview Tommy after the game when Reese Stitch uh, appeared at the door at, at the uh, requested to do an interview. Because he wanted to speak directly to the fans, um, yeah. and 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 I apologise because he knew what. And in, in speaking to him, I don't think it was on camera, um, but he, he, he looked gaunt. He, he it really hit him hard. I think he knew what he'd done. Uh, we all we all knew what he'd done, but it, and as we know now, he went after it two or three days later and yeah. did the brilliant thing. He scored immediately within five or six minutes. So that, that's gone now. We can we can forget about yeah. that. The Salford result itself that was. That was really frustrating because we could have all, could have won one nil up, uh, we could have drawn one all, and we did neither. Frustrating. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't the Salford game. I was listening to the radio at Gatwick, and uh, but then I did catch the highlights, and I, I did notice that um, Salford's finishing was was very clinical. Yeah. There were two good finishes, despite yeah. you know. Um, the, the the thing the thing that really stood out for me. I mean, obviously, the stage thing was just mm. unbelievable. He, he, we were stood a gas trying to figure out we couldn't even tell if he'd scored missed it whatever we were just waiting for something to happen and nothing did but what really stood out for me is when when we equalised um, mm. and deservedly so in fairness they quickly made the changes and the quality they had to come off the bench was the difference you know all of a sudden they started to up their game they looked fitter they looked stronger they were passing the ball around well and to be honest, it felt as though we were clinging on towards the end. It was just so unlucky that that they got the goal in the end. It was a fantastic finish. In fact, both of the goals were really well no, taken. Yeah, nothing James Holden could have done about it either. You know, it was just so frustrating that we were, were just moments away from a, a pretty well-deserved point, and it it just we, we lost it again. Yeah, it would it would have been a good point. Yeah, there, there wasn't much between the teams. Same for the York game. York and Salford matches. There was no, wasn't a lot between the teams, and yet we, we got no points. So ultimately, that's what that's what matters. And there was some pre-game chatter that this this game was a free hit, which I I hate that expression. I, I think every game's there to be. Well, to be I won. was the one that said it was a free game. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Well, it's, your, it's your fault, Trevor. So I'm, I'm going to have a go at you. I think to but, be honest, but I understand what you're saying. But it, it, it's... at some point, the difficulty is, and I think we're going to be we're going to be getting this 
sooner rather than later is the fact that obviously we're running out of games to turn this around and I think whether the players feel under pressure <coughs> or what but to really sort of load mm. onto them that they have to try and get something out of out of the game against the team that's you know reasonably clear at the top and clearly probably the best team in the league whether that puts a bit mm. too much pressure on the players at the time I think it's just easier to let them do their thing without having to go out thinking we've definitely got to get something out of this game and we it, it, to be fair we almost did yeah we were a minute away from getting a point and uh, obviously as we discussed there, as angry as, as Reese's penalty made us at the time, I think it took a big man and he deserves a lot of credit for yeah. coming out and the way he dealt with it afterwards. In, in all fairness, there's no point getting really angry with him because if we're going to get out of this mess, he's almost going to be the player that yeah. will do it. Seven goals, seven games, not bad, is it? No, it's brilliant. Not yeah. a bad return at all. And he did, of course, get on the score sheet against Alfred and so immediate response to... To the Salford penalty incident, he goes and he, he gets the uh, the opening goal at Alfreton um, at the weekend, mm. and we were looking uh, pretty comfortable. But then that big red button, <laughs> not the nuclear button, the self-destruct <clears throat> button, makes an appearance. And uh, while it's not immediately clear um, from any set of highlights I've seen what happened in the last minute, James Talbot, of course, gets sent off. Darlow concedes the penalty from which Alfreton grab an equaliser, and from three points, it's a draw snatched from the jaws of victory. I think our big red button is bigger than Trump's, to be honest. It, it, it's certainly more destructive. Um, it's so frustrating because, okay, you know, let's not pull any punches, we weren't amazing at Alfreton, but we were doing enough to get the win. Um, they were a poor team. I'd, I'd argue that it's probably only North Ferriby that have, have been worse than that this season, as far as I've seen us play, and... and we still managed to let them get into the game and yeah. it's just so disappointing because those three points particularly the way the games mm. were going in, in, elsewhere in the league the three points would have been massive I mean the bottom half of the table is pretty, um, pretty mm. closed up at the moment isn't it those three points are, are three or four places potentially and, and you're looking rather than you're looking at it as being I mean I think every team up to probably 14th, 15th could say they're in a relegation battle at the moment but it looks a lot more comfortable if you're 16th, 17th than it yeah. does if you're 20th. Well, you only have to look at the, at, I think, Boston and FC United both who've replaced the managers. Mm. Both have sort of gone on a, a little bounce after that and they've almost got themselves clear of it in, yeah. in no time yeah. at all and I mean, it shows how easily it can turn around still. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I thought we played some really nice football first half. I was really impressed with Tom Porter sit right back. Yeah. I thought he looked very comfortable on the ball. I, I, I'm not one to whinge about physicality, but I thought they were very physical. Um, there was a few little off the balls, and I, and I thought we actually stood up to it reasonably well. I mean, there's an incident um, after four seconds, isn't there, or something where? Indeed, and the more I look at it, um, our sending off, I'm still unsure how somebody on the line can actually see that, um, but even there, there was a kick out, I, I felt. Um, and I, at the time, I, I thought the game was over. I thought we'd ridden a semi-storm I didn't think they ever really looked like scoring I thought we had better chances the first half but as I say the, the word amongst the group I was I was within the stand was we still need a second goal we still need a yeah. second goal and, and I, I think that's a recurring thing and, and we didn't really look like getting a second goal no. that, that, that's the thing we, we were reasonably comfortable um, but one the lead is always is always fragile so and because of that ultimately we, we paid the price at the end didn't see it coming didn't really see an Alfred and goal coming at all we looked like we were going to get those three points 
and suddenly from nowhere. I mean, Alfreton's Alfreton's approach, aggressive approach, paid off really because they kicked the Darton goalkeeper who shouldn't have reacted, but obviously he's been provoked and he's a young lad. And he'll learn from the experience, but he'll learn to Sunderland's benefit because obviously he's, he's Sunderland's goalkeeper, so he'll go back there as a, as a better player for it, as a better man for it. But that's no good to Darton right now. Mm. So um, yeah, that was a that was a shame. Another one, James Talbot, who's held his hands up for uh, for the incident on on, uh, on social media and made an apology for his part in it. Mm. Um, again, the jury jury remains out without clear footage on how much blame is actually to be apportioned to the to the young keeper, who's otherwise been very impressive uh, in his time with us so far. But it did leave the question of who would go in goal uh, for the game against Charlie, which we'll discuss a little later on. And uh, we were thinking maybe Ed Vilchinski had come back from Shaw Lane and take that place, but a little late-breaking news that the club was nice enough to break before we started the recording tonight. Ed has actually signed for Shaw Lane on a permanent basis now. And we have responded to that by bringing in Ainsley Pears from Middlesbrough. Uh, I had a message before we started recording that basically said, if he's half as good as his dad, we're, uh, we're going to be very happy. So welcome to the club, Ainsley, and uh, best of luck to you. So it's time now for a little trip around the rest of the league. We've been talking about Darlow all evening. It's time to let Simon Hahn and Stu Armstrong have a little chat about the 21 other clubs that make up the National League North. And then we'll be back to have a little look forward to the next few games of a tough run for the Quakers. So thanks again, Simon, for joining us on the Dallow Fans Radio podcast. Now, since we last spoke, there's been a good number of games, actually. The festive period didn't see us lose too many, so the league has taken a slightly different shape than when we last spoke. Now, whilst us Dallow fans have been looking down the bottom, what's what's been happening up the top? It's been, well, it's, it's ultimately ended up back as it was before Christmas, but there's been quite a lot going on. Um, I mean, before the Christmas period, Salford were, were 10 points clear and it was all, all pretty much over. Um, but they had, before they played us, they had four games where they hadn't won a game. The gap was back down to two points. And before um, last Tuesday, Harrogate went to Nuneaton. And if Harrogate had won, they would have gone top that night. But... Um, Salford have picked up, obviously they beat us the night after, and then they won again at the weekend against Telford, so they've got, got that cushion again, uh, back to eight points ahead of Harrogate and, and Brackley. Um, still fully expect Salford, Salford to end up winning the league. I, I, I saw both the games against Harrogate and our game against Salford, and I, I, I didn't really think either side was that much better than us, and obviously we're down at the bottom end. Neither side massively impressed us, but I think Salford have just got that extra extra couple of gears, so I still I still expect them to run away with it in the end by the yeah. end of the season. Yeah, maybe that was their wobble. You know, they had that wobble over Christmas, didn't they? But maybe that's over with now, and you know, maybe they're going to power on. But the last time when we talked, we were looking in that playoff picture, weren't we? And we were commending, I think, yeah. the two teams from the northeast, Blythe Spartans and Spennymoor. And as we look at that table now, they're still up there, aren't they? They're still right in that mix with every chance. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean I think Harrogate and Blackleaf, it's a just all sharp self so they they look like they're pretty much set for the playoffs. Um Spennymoor have had a fantastic fantastic last few weeks. Um they did well in the games against games against Blythe, moved ahead of them in the table and then they also had a good good couple of wins in the FA Trophy this week. Um I think they've been done a lot better than a lot of people would have expected this season. And both both Spennymoor and Blythe look very very well set for the playoffs. Um our, our friends at York, after they, after they beat us and got a couple of victories over North Ferriby at the bottom, they finally moved back into the playoff places. And 
with John Parkin, maybe a bit old, maybe a bit overweight, but he's still still doing the job at this level. I think they should have enough to get in the playoffs as well. Um, just below them, Kidderminster, Bradford, Charlie and Stockport, and it looks like probably been one of them four. We'll see how we go when we play them on Saturday, but I suspect it could be Charlie. They've got great defensive record this season. Um, and they seem to be a bit more consistent than, than the other sides who were going for sort of the seventh, that last playoff spot. Yeah, they gave us a real walloping at Chorley earlier in the season as well. They gave us a real yeah. lesson on that night. And whilst we're thinking they're up in the playoffs, obviously us Darlow fans have been unfortunately looking down at the bottom where we've continued to be dragged into that relegation picture. Now, this is worth spending a little bit of time on. Um, how do yeah. you think how do you think this one's going to play, play out over the season? Because Darlington are close enough to this, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so tight between North Ferriby, I think they're only on seven points. They, they're all but relegated. It'll just be in the next couple of months, a matter of time. But from from anybody else, in sort of in the bottom half of the table, um, in, over the last sort of month or so, there's been a few sides. FC United, Southport and, Une- Southport and Uneaton have both won a couple of games in the last, in the last two weeks. And it suddenly lifted them from being in the relegation zone and not looking like they not looking like they would have a chance of getting out of it. Just two wins has lifted them up three or four points ahead of the safety mark. Um and so as, as sort of as bad as our results have been over the last few months. Just a two or three wins in a row and from our performances over the last over the last month against the top teams, we've definitely got the the, the quality in there to win two or three games in a row. And that's all it would take, and then the whole picture would look suddenly a lot, a lot different. Yeah, that would be much preferable, wouldn't it? And you're right; it's about turning those performances, yeah. that promise, into results, isn't it? At this time of the season, because yeah, you know we we played 26, there's only 16 to go, and if you were to kind of take a look at the teams around there and the fixtures, who's got to play each other left? What do you think, Sam? And who do you think are going to be the teams that end up getting getting through the trapdoor? I think I think even though at the moment games for the other team below us, I know they've got a couple of games in hand on us, but I think other teams as well. Games have over the last couple of months have picked up a lot from where they were at the start of the season, um, and, and they lost to Nuneaton at the weekend. But I, I can see personally games were getting out of there. Um, I know we didn't beat Alfreton at the weekend, but from what everyone's saying and from the highlights of the game, I don't think Alfreton. They've got a huge amount that will trouble a lot of teams in the league. Um, and even though, like I said, even though we didn't beat them, I could see Alfredson, they're only a couple of points ahead, then possibly slipping down in there. They haven't haven't had a good form over the last few months, similar to ours. Um, and the other team I've picked out would be Leamington, um, newly promoted into the division this year. I know when we played them earlier on in the season, we could only draw, draw with them, but they, they pretty much came for a point, didn't offer anything at all at the other end of the pitch and their forms their forms dropped a bit over the start of the Christmas period again it's it's so tight at the bottom all it takes is any team win, win two games in a row and they suddenly go up they lose three or four in a row and they quickly drop back down I'm going to I'm going to put names on Alfred and Unlimited yeah. being hopeful well, if if we get to the end of this season, Simon, and that's the way it goes, I think there'll be plenty of people listening to this podcast will be absolutely delighted that Talon yeah, don't end yeah, up being one of those three. And we we got plenty of teams around that range still to play as well, haven't we? We've got plenty of those teams, yeah. some of them at home as well. And you think they're going to be critical, don't you, really? Yeah, I think, I mean, the next the next five games, we play five of the, 
all teams in the top nine, Charlie Blythe, Blackley, um, Kidderminster, I've forgotten the other one off the top of my head, but we play all teams in the top nine. And if we can just get through this patch without sort of staying in touch or maybe staying a point behind the rest, the games we've got in March, we play a lot of the other teams in the bottom half, North Ferriby, Telford, Curzon uh, Ashton, I know not, they're not quite down there, but they're sort of they're not in, they're still in the bottom half of the table. If we can get through February, not not a drift of the teams above us, I think March we we should have a platform to build on and hopefully get those fixtures to get us out of trouble. Yeah, let's hope so. And and, and finally, uh, any any juicy fixtures coming up in the next couple of weeks down at either end of the league? Yeah, we've got at both ends. Um, I think it's make or break at the top in the next the next two Saturdays. Salford are at home to Harrogate this Saturday and then the week after they're away to Brackley. If Salford come through them two games with sort of four points or even just not losing but either not sort of picking up two draws and not losing either of them games, I think that would pretty much be, be the title over. It'd possibly be the last chance for Harrogate and Brackley to, to pull them back in back into the pack so to speak. Um so that that could be the title over. At the other end I've, with us playing Charlie, I was having a look at the games for this this week, the week after. There's that many teams down there. Teams are playing each other every week for the next few weeks, and it, it could change so easily. I mean, Alfreton play Leamington this Saturday. Telford play Nuneaton the weekend after Alfreton go to Gainsborough. We play Leamington. It can all change, all change so quickly. Yeah. Good stuff, Simon. And I guess while teams at the bottom end are playing each other like that, it means that not everybody can win, uh, but not everybody can yeah. lose as well, I suppose, doesn't it? So the table exactly. might shift a bit in those yeah. next few weeks. Well, thanks thanks yeah, again yeah. for uh, for joining us on, on this podcast, Simon. That's a great look around the league. And uh, as we said earlier, I think if we end up in the situation that you describe, yeah. come the end of April, start of May, we'll be, we'll be delighted. But there's plenty of work for Darlington and Tommy and the lads to do, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, plenty, plenty of work to do, but I think, I think we've still shown enough despite the results that we've we've still got a chance of getting out of there. Brilliant. Thanks again, Simon. So that's Simon Hahn taking a look around the league for us on this Darlow podcast. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, you. Now we need to look ahead to another tough few weeks for Darlington, uh, starting with Chorley and then Leamington away, Blythe at home, and Bradford Park Avenue away. Three teams chasing the playoffs. Uh, some very tough games ahead. And uh, what are your thoughts on these, Trevor? How many points do you think we can we can look forward to picking up here? Well, it's an interesting one. I've been looking at the form table um, for these four teams, and none of them are, are, are in a magnificent streak of form. You know, they're they're all losing games. Um, it's like I just think if we can pick up one result, preferably against Charlie, yeah, you know, the start of the run. I actually think we could possibly win two or three of these games. I know people will say, well, you know, Blythe are up towards the top of the league and Bradford are up in the playoffs and Charlie are a good team. But, you know, what we've seen recently is no teams taken as a part. You know, we're, we're, we're relatively competitive in the games. And when you look at the form these four teams are showing at the moment, if we stay in the game, we, we still actually have a pretty decent chance. If we can keep Stage firing as long as we don't start making silly mistakes. All of a sudden, I honestly think that in these four games, we could win two or maybe even three, You know, might even pick up an extra point in the other game. I, I don't think it's beyond the realms of fantasy to actually think that we could still do something here. 
Yeah. I think in the last three performances, um, you know, the last three games, the performances have been there. The luck's maybe abandoned us a little at key moments. If we can combine those performances with that little bit of luck that we've maybe been missing, we can uh, we can pick up something from these games. So, what do you, what do you think? What are your thoughts on these ones, Dave? I mean, just going to Blythe, I thought we played very well at Blythe the first half, and again, it was one of those second half sort of turnarounds. Um, you can't you can't relate one game to another. Uh, Chorley, um, I think. I mean, I went to the Chorley game at their place and. Um, we, we really were hammered that day, but they had a, a spectacular winger called Nick Horton, who now is no longer with them, and I think they will miss him. But Chorley's um, game is really a strong defence, so I think if we can if we can get a goal, wherever it comes from, Dean Stite, whoever, and you know we're, we're on a good platform then to to try and uh, win win that game. I don't I don't fear Chorley that much. I think they'd be a tough team to break down. Um, I think the one thing, the only thing with Charlie is the fact that they they really make that kind of three centre halves, the two wing backs, that system. They they own that. They make yeah. it work really well, and I kind of hope in a way that we don't try to match them, because if we if we try to do the same as what they're going to do, they're better at it than us. I'd rather us play our own game, with with whatever way that we 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 think is most comfortable. If we try and just go man for man, then we might be in we might be in a bit of trouble. I mean, yeah, I'd like to hope that. Uh, I mean, Darton, we started fought the back on uh, last Saturday, Alfred, and then it was also what we switched to during the Salford game. Personally, that's where I'd prefer to see. I think when Tommy's come into the club halfway, halfway through the season, <clears throat> and he's tried to radically change the, the formation, and it's easy to say now we're on the back of all these bad results, but it's. I think it's too big an ask personally I think if you're going to in, install a, a new formation a new way of playing it needs to be when you've got time i.e. in pre-season I don't think you can do it overnight when you're changing your personnel and changing formation so I'd, I hope he's going to stick to a simple 4-4-2 because the, I think players in this country at least know that role know those positions and I think that might work for us and as you say Tom Porter did okay right back on Saturday at Alfredton so he, he can play there no problem despite Don Collins being, being out mm. for the time being I think actually the two away. I mean, I, met, I, I highlighted Chorley and Bly, but I, I don't think Leamington away is uh, an easy fixture at all. Um, it wasn't so long ago. They're, they're, I think they beat Spennymoor five-one. So there's obviously yeah. some. They're not. On, you know, I mean, your figure suggests the form isn't great recently, but clearly they've got the capability to deliver yeah. a, a performance. And I, I think Bradford have, have, are a better side than they were when probably played them at um, than they played at our ground. So. I think that again will be a tough game. I mean, it, it just it just demonstrates how hard these games are. I mean, it was one observation going back to Alfreton that actually Alfreton weren't great, but they weren't terrible. You know, they were tough not to break down. And I think the games you think you're going to do well in are often the ones <laughs> that you yeah. don't. Um, um, and I mean, uh, Chorley, I'd, I'd, I mean, I'd give I'd give us a shout against Chorley. I think we rise to the. the some of the big teams, you know. Well, Depends what start we get off to, and how we start the second half as well. Um, yeah, we, we need to start rising to these games because it won't be long before we're, we're we're running out of them. It won't be that. You know, it's not that far away before we start getting towards the last ten matches, and suddenly you, you need snookers. But um, yeah, I mean, you're looking at the next four matches here. It, it's actually if you look at the next six, it's actually five of the next six are against teams going to the going for promotion inside the top ten yeah. uh, as we speak now. And then obviously the one out is, is Leamington, but 
in a way, it doesn't really matter who down play at the moment because we're struggling whether we play a team at the top or a team towards the bottom. We we, we can't pick up points. We, well, we draw here and there. Um, it doesn't really matter who we play. We just I just I want us to fluke a result from anywhere. I don't care if we play good or bad. But I, I think it's doable as well. It's possible because we haven't played that badly the last three games. York, Salford, and Alfred and there hasn't been a lot between us and the opposition. Uh, we haven't been hammered. The, the other team hasn't been dominant particularly. Um, so it's not beyond down to win on Saturday against Shortley. And if, if you look at Salford Argo, we, we actually took three points out of each of them. If you, if you, as my father used to do, you take a C's perspective. Um, yeah. So Chorley, we lost two. So we, we drew our three points. We drew our three <laughs> points. Um, so a, a little bit of mathematical positivity there. Uh, but I think Chorley will be a tough team to break down. I think that's what they're prided on. But if we can get a goal... I think we'd be more than capable of trying to defend against yeah. that, but none, none of these games are easy. I think when we when we had Salford, Harrogate, York, we thought we sort of got the worst over. But um, yeah, I think three good think performances in three those good games. performances. So if we take a form guide, you know, we've, we've we've got a chance in all of them, and I think that's the way we should look at it. That Charlie game, by the way, the four-one. I mean, mm. I don't know how many Darton fans were there that night because it was obviously a midweek away game, so I'm not sure how many fans witnessed it. But those of us that were there. We were a long second best that night, weren't we? Yeah. I mean, I know it's kind of relevant now because it's three, four, three, four, five months ago or so, isn't it? But that was a night where you realised we're in trouble here because we started the season with a lot of optimism and then suddenly we go to Charlie and get put four passes. I think it could have been more. They could have won by a lot more that night. It was very one-way traffic. There was a spectacular solo performance by Holton, but it was quite clear that they also had other good players. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm from that neck of the woods originally, so Charlie have always had a strong... Outfit and as you say, they're going for a playoff place, and we should respect that. That, that was the night where we uh, the, the bus broke down, coming the team bus broke down coming back. I think and I was on the bus that night. I think got got back about four or five in the morning. It was um, yeah. I think we had to we had to wait for a replacement bus to turn up at the services, Lancaster services possibly. Would that would that would, be, would that be right? Yeah. Um, it was one of those nights where you knew that this it, it, it set the tone for the season, but. Yeah, so here we are now. And we got off to a bad start, didn't we? That game yeah. as well. I think we didn't give a penalty away early doors, fairly. Yeah, so. One. yeah. So we didn't get off to a good start on that game. They're they're just a very strong physical team, but mm. they pass the ball around really well, and they've got lots of runners. They get the numbers forward really, really well. The wing backs get forward well, and you know it's one of the things. If you're not switched on, they will have you. Yeah. Important, I think, that we keep Reece Stage fit and firing for the uh, remainder of the season, isn't it? I, I, I honestly, if 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 we either lost him to injury or we or, you know, he got himself suspended for a couple of games, we would be in a, a, a fair amount of trouble because you know obviously other players will chip in with goals here and there, but he's the only one that looks like he's going to score goals on a consistent basis, um, particularly given. He, does them from very little, you know. He doesn't, you know. None of them have really been, you know, put on a plate. He's had to, you know, stretch that extra yard and you know run that and use a bit of strength and a bit of physicality. And we just don't seem to have anyone else at the moment that that looks like they can do that for us. I think I might be wrong saying this. I think we scored nine goals since he signed for the club, and he scored seven. I think that's about right. Seven and nine, or seven off ten, or something. I think he scored. 
And the, Alfred, the goal against Alfred on Saturday, he, as you just mentioned, Trevor, he made it himself, really. He forced their player into a mistake. And he was at, he was at an angle. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy goal. And he fired it in. It was, uh, the keeper had no chance. And I don't, he's the only player in the squad that would have scored that goal. Uh, so hopefully he'll keep, keep doing it. <laughs> and, and similar against York, I mean, a fairly good strike. I mean, it's a big Bartlett from... Yeah. You know, no chance, gave him no chance, and yeah, he's capable of knocking him in from a yard, uh, yeah. as in the Boxing Day fixture against Harrogate. So, I'm 12 yards apart from against yeah. Salford, <laughs> apart from Salford, I wasn't there, so yeah, some interesting celebrations as well. Well, the, the barrel roll against York is, is apparently now been viewed yeah. on a non league challenge, and there's a prize of 20,000, so I don't, I don't know where it's going to come, but yeah, I believe the final 10 in that goes down to a vote, so um. Keep an eye out for that on Twitter, and uh, and don't forget to click the right box when it does go. Well, up. I think it made the club twenty pound anyway because somebody said mm. next, uh, Dean Stite does a barrel. It'd be, uh, really, and it's it's going a bit viral now as well. So, yeah, I think that was probably good for him after his uh, his penalty went viral as well. But uh, and that's the last we're going to say about that. So we close the program tonight with the second part of Stu Armstrong's talk to David Johnson as the uh, DFC CEO outlines his hopes for the long-term future of the football club. Good, so, so starting to look forward a little bit then, I think about next steps, as you mentioned there, it's a good segue. Um, if, if you had you know, one or two priorities as you start to look forward, let's say over the next year or two, for the club, what, would those, what do you think one of those one or two most important things are that we need to try and get right? Uh, <coughs> We need to set realistic budget expectations, and you know we can we can afford certain levels of expenditure to to have a competitive squad, but we're going to need the contribution of the fans to do that. I think now that uh, the sporting village concept has come around, it gives us a time you know it's just time to stop and think and and um, decide where our future will be. You know, the council are going to determine where we'll be able to develop. Um, I've been very clear with the council around what we want. We have, you know, they want I, this town needs a football club. There's no doubt about it. the council recognise that, and the, they obviously recognise that Darnham Football Club is the biggest sporting club in the town. That club needs to be financially sustainable, and I've given them a plan that will give. I've given them a plan which says this makes us financially sustainable. So why would they go down that route? Well, obviously, there's planning issues to go through, etc., etc. But ultimately, if we can give a, a plan which says there you go, you deliver, you deliver us, you help us support us with this. We will be financially sustainable, and that secures, you know, um, the club in the town, and it's it's good for the town. This this town needs a club back in the football league. So, um, on that score, the sporting village concept uh, is quite interesting. So, the key priority for me is understanding where and what is happening with that. There's a developer looking now at the business plans. Um, once that comes through, we'll determine whether the concept down by the arena is feasible or not. And if it is feasible, then we'll be at the table negotiating what's best for Darling Football Club. If it's not feasible, I've got plans for development down at Blackwell. Um, and, you know, it, it, our plans don't change. It's only the location that might. And so I think that's, that's key. We know what we're doing and where we're going. And um, it's a lot of good things to come. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to push you too tightly on that because I recognise that there's all sorts of confidentiality. I don't want to get anybody into any bother or anything like that. But is there... So the, the two things to say from that is that the football club are around the table, anywhere with the council and with the owners of the land and everything like that, as far as that Sporting Village proposal is developed. Um, what, what sort of timelines are you expecting for that? There's a lot of work to be done there. There's a whole lot of commercial stuff to be worked through. What, what's, what's a realistic timeline, do you think, for a decision point? I think by the end of the season we'll know a lot more about where we need to be. Um, the decision may come before then. I don't know. You know, it, it all depends on how quick the business plan we work through. 
you know, I, I, if, it, if I was running the, the Sporting Village concept, you know, I'd be looking to prepare a business plan that, sh- that showed that the, the concept was financially sustainable, what each, what each party would need to put into that pot to make it, to make it so. Um, and I'm sure the developers are doing that at the moment. Uh, they're not going to invest, you know, this, let's be clear, this, this Sporting Village concept could be tens of millions of pounds to develop. And they've got to make sure that the revenue streams generated from the the parties that are involved are sustainable because it's pointless putting something in there having businesses just go pop. So I'm very protective of Darlington Football Club. I'll make the right decisions for Darlington Football Club in relation to our financial commitment. But exactly what we want, we have a plan. If the Sporting Village concept hadn't come along, we had a plan for development of Blackwell and we'll move ahead with that development of Blackwell. It's not huge capital out there. Yes, there's a, there's a, there is some funding to, to, to be raised, but I can find that funding, I think. Um, but ultimately, it's you know I've got to make sure that in a concept of a wider village, that our interests are are protected, that we come out with a solution whereby we will be financially sustainable. There's no risk to us from from the other companies that may be involved in that development. Yeah, good, good. Well, we'll watch that space on that one. And as I said, I won't ask you any more questions on it because I don't want to get you to say something, uh, well, something inappropriate it, it, or wrong. It is a bit awkward. I'm under NDA with several things, yeah. so it's quite difficult. But you know, I think you understand the concept. We know what we want to do, and we'll fight our corner to get what we want. Yeah, good, 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 good. Okay, so moving away from that one a little bit and thinking around the rest of the club, I mean, one of the things this year that seems to have struck me is there's been a kind of um, renewed energy in the supporters group. There's been a new full board. How do you see that relationship being maximised between the supporters group and and the work that you guys are doing on the board? I think um, it it took me a a few weeks or a few months to to really understand how the club um, operated and functioned and the role of the board and the supporters group board. in the early days, it was difficult. I won't, I won't deny that. And at times, it was quite tense. Um, conversations were difficult, uh, and that was on both sides. You know, I, I think that um, I didn't understand how the supporters group operated, but I also think that the supporters group, having had little visibility of how the club was run financially, didn't understand the pressures that the directors faced on a daily basis. Um, this obviously there's been a new board elected. Um, Chris Stockdale now is the chair of that board, and. Um, we're working very, very closely, and I've got to say I'm enjoying working with Chris and the board. We had a working session at Blackwell probably four weeks ago, um, determining the different um, work streams that we would like people to volunteer to get involved with. There are four or five of those we're working on, um, and you know the, the relationship is is, um, is strengthened over the, the past four to six weeks. It's been excellent, in fact. Um, I speak to obviously I speak to John every day. Um, about the financial issues and what we're doing I speak to Tommy every day about the squad but I also speak to Chris every day about where we're doing and, what, and what's happening and, and that's a very good relationship and, and, and it'll strengthen in the future I think the, um, the sports group recognise now from the financial issue, issues we shared with them hang on a second that's not sustainable and you can't be expected to do that you know and the fact that John's been dipping in and putting his funds and I put my hand in my pocket you know all this stuff and we're not the only people who've done that obviously a lot of people have done it but at times when we've had to put chunks of cash in it's come from George, it's come from myself, and the sports group have been, actually, you shouldn't need to do that, that's wrong, which is great, you know, they understand now. And so this is the really, hence when we come back with, when I came back with the strategy around what I wanted to do, um, the sports group have been brilliant. Uh, and they, they said, right, yeah, let's get on with this and let's do it. And, um, you know, they, I think the, the club can go from strength to strength. I, what I'm looking to do over the coming months is, is, is obviously produce a monthly, have a monthly board meeting where the Darlington directors and the supporters group um, attend a board meeting and we look at the profit pack. Um, we have a, you know, we look at the, the P&L, the profit and loss account, the balance sheet, cash flow forecast, age creditors, that kind of stuff. But also we'll talk about the wider issues about development, 
about the, you know, the, the work streams I want to raise commercial income. We've got to look at the infrastructure development. Um, we've got to you know, improve match the experience for fans. Um, all those issues will be discussed at the board. And obviously, you know, the performance, you know, I'll expect Tommy to talk about the squad and what's right and what's wrong and injuries, etc. So there'll be a formal board meeting coming up, you know, which I hope to start probably from February onwards, whereby we meet monthly um, and we discuss those issues. And, and, and the, you know, it gives more transparency between supporters group and the board. And, It'll just strengthen the relationship. Good, good. Last, last couple from me. Uh, the first one, I'm just wondering, and I'm sure I don't know whether you've actually thought of this, but hopefully you don't have to go too far for it. Have you got a, a highlight and a low light of your time since being involved in June? Um, a highlight and a low light. Um, I can certainly give you the low light, um, and that was from the from the the York City game when. Um, my family and I were um, were subject to some vile abuse um, from some fans standing behind the dugouts. Um, these are not Darlington fans. I don't know who they are. They turned up with the game and they were abusing um, guests in the boardroom upstairs on the balcony watching the game. And some of that dis- abuse was just disgusting. Um, I intervened to calm it down, at which point I was subject to... Um, like the, the word is just vile, vile abuse in front of my family, which I found very distasteful. These people aren't Darna fans, you know, and um, I would call on the other Darna fans if we see that kind of behaviour, point the individuals out. The club will not stand for that kind of behaviour, and I don't want those individuals sourcing the football club. I'll tell you what they can do they can come in and pay the money, and I'll throw them straight out of the ground. We will not have those individuals at the football club. Uh, I always said, you know, when I get personal abuse as a, as a director, that'll be it for me. But that's that, that wasn't the case on, on Saturday. It was just some idiots who. Uh, well, let's just leave it at that. They were just, they were just out of order, and, and if they come back again, they'll be thrown out. I don't want them at the club. That was the low point. Um, I'm sure everyone listening to that will uh, will agree with that as well. The, the, the fact that's totally unacceptable. Yeah. I think everybody listening to this will, will agree with that. Um, the high points. Um, I tell you what, the high the high point for me was um, so far. I mean, obviously, we've, 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 there's a lot of things. We you know it. I've got a great relationship with Tommy. Um, he understands how his football clips to run. He needs a bit of luck at the moment. I think he's run over a black cap with the way things have gone the last few games, but I'm confident we'll turn that round. Um, but when um, when Twinney and Gaz were on the, on the side in the absence of a manager, uh, when we scored when we scored our first goal, um, one of them would have been difficult. We had a defeat and had a draw, and then we scored our first goal. I was I was on the balcony and I actually stepped back out of the balcony because it brought tears to my eyes. I had to walk back in the boardroom. I was so emotional about you know what the lads had done, how they stepped up the plate. That was a high spot for me when um, they did that. And uh, you know they got they got a win at the end when on Tommy's when Tommy was actually taken over. But they it was officially the last game in charge. And that was a high spot for me. Um, and I'm sure there'll be more to come with, with some decent performances. I think we're starting to play um, a better style of football. Obviously Tommy's been tinkering with different shapes and formats to have a look at what the best format format is. I think we're settling on that now. And again, you've got to pick certain players for certain games. Uh, um, you know, you've got to look at the opposition and understand what they're like, and then you, you pick players to play against that as well. But uh, uh, I think there'll be more high spots toward the end of the season. But you know, I'm, being, I'm very realistic. This season for me is about consolidation. It's about staying in this league, but also clearing the debt, building the stand, and having a P&L that shows a break-even position. When we talk about sponsorship, I mentioned this at the forum, fans forum. You know, I've been approached before by. Um, when I was empty at Stansted Airport, a lot of teams down there were asking, would I sponsor their club in, in various bits and bobs? And the first thing I asked for was, show me your profit loss, your balance sheet, your cash flow forecast. Because the biggest risk for me as a sponsor is that that football club goes pop when I'm sponsoring it. 
you know, the reputational damage is, is terrible. They'll then look to you, so can you bail them out, etc., etc., etc. And it's not the situation you want to be in. Darling's accounts last year, I mean, the, John's done a fantastic job getting, getting Virgin in. Um, that's un- unbelievable given the financial um, documentation that would have been available. Um, fortunately, Virgin saw beyond what we were currently doing. Um, but I've got, we'll have, hopefully have a set of accounts by the end of this financial year, which means I can go and talk to companies about sponsorship and say, look, this club is now run correctly off the field. We have, a, you know, we've, we have the debt cleared, we have a profitable business, we're setting realistic budgets, and that breaks confidence. Um, I'd like to think that um, I've had very good discussions with Darling Bill Society, with Colin Fife, um, and also with James Ramsbottom. And you know, I'd like to think that they will be, get involved with the club next season. That's up to them. But you know, there um, there are a lot of people out there who have Darling football clubs interests at heart, and uh, I'll be able to talk to them in a much better light now that we've got financial control behind the scenes. Good stuff, good stuff, David. One last, well, the only one last question I've got, and I think you hinted at it earlier, actually, and it's a bit of a leading question, so you have to forgive me for it. But I think you mentioned earlier. Has, this, has the place started to get under your skin a little bit yet? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. But also it's, what is quite strange, all, all my friends who are, you know, I've, I've followed Newcastle all over the country. Uh, I remember the football specials, 11-year-old that went down the country all over the place. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't allow your kids to do it today, but in those days it was fine. We went all over and the, you know, the, the bigger lads looked after us when we went down the country. Um, one of my mates who did those journeys with me, they text me every, every weekend about darling it's quite funny, you know. The football, it's football community, and um, it gets under the skin. And I've got mates now who first thing think that I'll get a text, get in one nil stash, you know, and stuff from 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 Newcastle fan. Um, and and you know they're obviously wanting uh, the club to succeed and me to succeed. Yes, it gets under your skin, and as I say, you know, I, I, um, uh, I've, I haven't seen as much of Newcastle this year as maybe the, the cost of those season tickets. That's given me grief with the wife, but ultimately, you know, she comes to dining with me now, and we just give the tickets away to our friends when they want to go to Newcastle. So it does, does get the skin, and you know, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying being here, uh, and uh, you know, I, I hopefully I'll be here for a while longer. But as I said, as I've always said, you know, if I can't deliver what the fans want, then I'm quite happy to step aside. But I, I'd like to think I'm here for. A, for the foreseeable future. Good stuff. Thanks, David. Thanks for joining us and thanks for answering those questions so candidly and for all of the work that you're doing with John as well on behalf of the football club and wish you a very successful end uh, to the season and beyond as well. No, thanks, yeah. And I think the point you raised about John there, um, I couldn't operate at this football club without John, John Tempest. Um, the work he does behind the scenes is phenomenal. Uh, the pressure at times he's under with handling the cash flow and stuff. and um, you know, He's a real asset to the football club and I think the fans should recognise that as well. Good stuff. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. So that was episode three of the Dialo Fans Radio podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening. My thanks go to Craig, Dave and Trevor for joining me tonight, to Stuart, Michael and Simon, plus guests for their contributions, to the Dolphin Centre for the recording facilities, and of course, to you, the listeners, wherever you are, for tuning in. If you want to give us any feedback on anything we've discussed tonight or suggest features for future episodes, we can be reached on Twitter at Darlow Fans Radio, Facebook by searching for Darlow Fans Radio, or by email, darlowfans at gmail.com. We're also broadcasting live every match day at mixler.com slash darlowfans radio or through the Mixler app on your smartphone. Until next time then, it's goodbye from all of us and thanks for listening. Bye.